Hello, welcome to the N17 pod. My name's Cosmo and I'm joined by a bunch of fans whose club is in the top four. Come on, boys. Glenn. Absolutely. Yo. We got Jed. Yes, yes. We got Eddie. Good evening. Good evening. And um, obviously, we've been away for a bit, but the way we're going to do this is that we're going to talk about basically the stage of the season from where we left off um, and that whole that whole sprint towards the finish line, which is basically what it felt like. Uh, I'd say the last, I believe, like six games, it just felt, for me, it was just like such a, an emotional roller coaster. So much emotional energy invested into that. Um, but yeah, so we, we, we left it off. We left off at Brighton and Brentford just before that game. And I would say Glenn invoked the curse that he'd been trying to invoke for a while, asked us for yep. score predictions, which we'd done so well to avoid the whole time. Um, but Glenn, you goaded us, you goaded us and you tempted fate, you tempted the devil. Because I remember the last thing that I said was, uh, I don't see us losing to a team like Brighton. I went to that game. I saw that Leandro Chossard goal just slowly roll into the net. Uh, it was, it was, it was a test in time. Let's put it that way. Um, so I want to know from you boys, from that Brighton and Brentford game, coming out of that, coming out of those games, did you think that top four was on the table? Still, I honestly thought that United were going to get it. I genuinely thought that United were going to get top four, like after the Brentford game, especially. But, you know, obviously, that's just my emotion talking. I really, because they're, they're, they're absolutely terrible. But um, after the Brighton game, at least, when it, was, when it was happening in real time, every single one of us were like, this is the type of game that we're going to like, that we drop points in. Like, we weren't creating. We didn't have any shots on target, I believe. Um, or, or like, yeah, shots on target. And it got to like the 70th minute. 75th minute and you're thinking yeah we're not going to score we're not going to score like maybe we just hold out for a draw here and then for the Trossard goal to go in uh, made me if we could possibly even track back to like the the chat on that day I can't lie I felt sick when that goal went in I know Jed did like uh, that's the type of thing that that makes Jed like that lose a couple a couple of years of his life still. Like, it's oh, one of them ones where you can lose your head. Oh, Bro, no, no, no. There's going to be some revision. No way. No, 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 no. no. All right, hear me out. Oh, hear me out. Because, You're going to get the most pessimistic Spurs fan claiming he, he was, it was never in doubt. Top four, never no, no, in no, no, doubt. No, no. I'm not saying I was calm in that sense. I was calm in the sense that I was out with my girlfriend that day, so I weren't really paying attention to what the score was. If I'm watching the game, you, man, see how I'm going crazy in the chat. With my, with my, <laughs> I, I, I use I use the chat and I use Twitter as a coping mechanism. I just be <laughs> I'll be t- I'll be saying anything when the game's on, but when they when it the game came off the pitch, <laughs> yeah, right. But when but when that Brighton game was on, I was I was out and I thought, well, not even after the Brighton game, after the Brentford game, I was like, yeah, that's it because I think then we were going into that hard run of um, it was Leicester, Liverpool, Arsenal. Um, Burnley as well, which was only a couple of days after Arsenal, which we we all thought was going to, which obviously was a massive game and would have been a quite a taxing game for us. Obviously, it didn't turn out that way. It was a walk in the park, but yeah, I thought 
it was essential for us to get those wins against Brighton and um, Brentford. So once we didn't even pick up a win in any of those, I thought, yeah, there's, there's no chance now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're sitting here now, we're in the top four and we're getting all this good news coming through. Um, so, yeah, I couldn't be any happier, really. I must admit, uh, this is uh, terrible podcasting, but I actually forgot about that Leicester game. <laughs> I literally forgot that ever happened because yeah. when I was trying to think back to, to the games, I, I literally thought Liverpool was straight after that. Um but I want to get I want to get your boys' thoughts on like where you were for that Liverpool game, and the emotions of watching it, and where you were like after that because there was a lot of people at the time saying if we don't win it, then top four's over. Um, did the draw give you hope that that we were going to do something that we were going to go on and, and beat Arsenal maybe? Yeah, I, I don't know if it gave me hope for the top four, but it made me think oh we're hundred percent being Arsenal. And then, and then it's just about putting enough pressure on them in their last couple of games and maybe getting a few results go our way, like, elsewhere so that Everton had to go like turn up on the final day, maybe, if, if Newcastle didn't do it. Like, that, that, that's, what, that's what I thought in my head. But after the Liverpool game, I was like, you know what? Next year, we, we could actually do something, even if we are just in Europa. Just the way we played against them, we, we made them look, like, so average. We made Liverpool look so average against us. They, they didn't have any, very many good chances. And we Liverpool don't look like that against very many teams at all. Which made me think, if we backed Conte in the summer, even if we got Europa, something special could happen next season. But yeah. now, I don't, I'm, I'm not even trying to ruin, ruin the pod, but now it's... It's just different. No, man. There's too many games to catch off on. Everything yeah. is going to be all over the place. Let's not yeah. worry too much about uh, the kind of the the narrative of of or the order um, in which everything happened. Um, I, I, I was think... at a similar place, by the way. I was at, I was in a similar place. I was thinking, you know what? Maybe it's just going to be a bit too hard this year. But Europa League with Conte. Um, he's probably just going to sack that off. And I remember thinking that like, if he sacked that off, then we, we could have like a good run at the league next year. And I think that is kind of where a lot of Spurs fans were at. I think a lot of Spurs fans, we would have accepted beating the Gunas and then just kind of having that as like a little kind of like pet me up towards the end of the season. But then kind of just being like, well, we've kind of, for me, the way I made peace with it, I was like, it's new, no tax. It's just it's just tax for having Nuno at the start of the season. Yeah. That's the way I was thinking. I think um the, the crazy thing was that like if we look at the, the the context of the season, is that since January, so like I'd say probably January is like at that time where you sort of got the idea that the team was starting to get to grips with Conte's like tactics and formation. And since January, Spurs have got the most points in the league apart from City and Liverpool. So we can legitimately say that Nuno Tax probably like stopped the league, the top four, from becoming um, a bit more comfortable. Really, so if you think that if we were gonna if we were playing like this way from the beginning of the season, we'd be a lot closer to Liverpool and City than we than we are to Arsenal and, and United. Um, so I agree. I think that Nuno Tax was really realistically the, the thing that was gonna hold us back because I don't think I think most of the performances under Conte have been ranging from okay to good 
I'd, I'd say two or three great performances and then two or three maybe subpar performances, but the rest were like at least a six out of ten. So I think the the Liverpool game was really satisfying. After like the after the disappointment of the Brentford game where it we didn't throw enough into it. Um and initially my thoughts were that we don't look like a team that are serious about top four, like with the performance that we put in at Brentford. And then the reports came out that Conte didn't really lay into the players after Brentford, knowing that that wouldn't have been the right time to do so, especially going into the, the Liverpool game. So it was clear that like a point was better than nothing at that point of the season. And then obviously every point mattered at the end of the season. If we, if we lost that Brentford game, it would have been big trouble for us. If we, if we lost that Liverpool game, it would be big trouble for us. If we lost any of the games that we drew, even the games that Nuno won at the beginning of the season, they all every point mattered this season. So, and then going from the Brentford game to the Liverpool game, where again we only got a point, but the performance was so different, it was really satisfying to watch, especially against a Liverpool team which clearly were really frustrated by our performance from the players to the manager, uh, and and Klopp being Klopp, really just an utterly, utterly like disastrous like person you, in defeat. you you really hate him Eddie I remember like the last few times we've we've played Liverpool you've laid into him heavy because because the guy has the guy has a media circus eating his ass every time that we every time that he steps onto the pitch and I'm not being funny yet like some of the things that he does is just it is tantamount to like bullying but we're like oh yeah passion or like, or like, he he just loves the club. Or he loves his players. Or he loves to give his players a little slap and tipple after the end of the game. It doesn't matter to me. Like he's he's he spent a lot of money on the team that he has, and it's a good team. And he, and Liverpool play some good football, and it was satisfying to stop Liverpool playing the way that they played because it clearly frustrated them. And and they they got a point out of the game from a deflected shot from the outside of the box. So at the end of the day, we we didn't. We didn't play negative football. We contained them. And that was satisfying for me. And that set us up for, obviously, a monumental performance against Arsenal. Did you, just just quickly, did you see that Twitter thread uh, that someone made about Klopp where he's like, he creates a safe space for his players by giving them a little hug before, before like, um, taking pens and all that <laughs> stuff. It's just, that's, that's some of the... I feel like Liverpool fans and Arsenal fans are just the worst for making these like basically insane threads. Like the narratives. Yeah, they're just completely delusional, delusional threads. Uh, I mean, I saw one about like why Mikel Arteta in the long run will be a better manager in Europe than Antonio Conte, and it's just thinking like, how how are you even spinning this thread? How how the hell does <laughs> one come up with an idea like this? It's just it's just nuts. Do you know what I think is is mad? I don't know about you guys, but like for me, this season has felt like one of the longest seasons ever. And I think yeah. you can almost split it into like four sections, as in like every section could be its own season in a way. You've got like the Nuno bit, which doesn't even feel like it's from this season at all. It doesn't even feel like it happened. Then you've got the the period where Conte first comes in, where we obviously go on that bit of a new manager bounce. We, we win some games quite convincingly and we have some sort of average games that I already mentioned. Then you get past that period and then you're in Conte's the press period where he's he's saying he's he's going to leave after that every game and how fucking sad he is. 
And then, like, the last five or six games, it has just felt like a lifetime. I don't know about you guys, but the last the last couple of weeks have been like, I don't know, man. I've been I've been dreading it all the way. I've just wanted the season to be over with, and I've just wanted wanted to know the outcome. Um, I think maybe that's that's um, that's heightened a bit more because of the fact we were up against Arsenal. I think if we were up against someone like United, it wouldn't have been as tense. But um, yeah, it's just felt like such a long season. And I'm glad we're finally at the end of it and that we're, we're sort of like through the right side of it. Um, and I'm glad we're not going to have to listen to any more of Conte's post-Bernie comments or anything like that because he seems he seems a happy man now. Where are you guys at with, with Conte now? Because I feel like, particularly me, like after the Bernie comments, I was just like, I don't know if, if this is even if this is even worth it because I, I was hating having him just slagging off Tottenham like after every result. Um, he claims that that was all like a big tactic, but um, I read an article in the Athletic saying that like people at the club were like they genuinely thought he was going to walk um, at that point. And so I feel like there's kind of there's always been two extremes with Conte. There's either been people who like are basically disciples of him, or there's been people who he just really rubs up the wrong way. And I'd say, mm, I don't know if I'm like more on that side, but I have been on that side at times. And obviously I can, the job he's done is just, is fantastic. Like we can see that now, but where are you at in terms of like going forward with Conte? First of all, do you think he's going to stay? Because I was absolutely elated after that game. Um, you know, so gassed that we'd that we'd managed to finish ahead of Arsenal and secure top four. And then again, he gives these kind of non-committal comments. Um, so where are you guys? Where are you guys at with, with Antonio? I I feel like that that becomes like part and parcel of like having Antonio Conte as manager. You have to have these these periods of absolute bipolar behaviour to to enjoy the high points. You you can't you can't have like the highs without the lows with Antonio Conte. He's he's like. To be fair to him, in that period of like Burnley, et cetera, et cetera, think about the team that he was given. Like the team that he's been given was fucking horrible. It was so bad. Like worst XG created in the league, worst like bottom chances, top chances created. Worst bottom like, yeah, bottom key, like it, it, just ridiculous stats, like lower than Norwich in each chances created which is nuts, and then comes in, has to turn it round and sort out the defence at the same time because we know the defence has been a massive problem at Spurs for a long time. But then you see it start to work and then you're like, oh, it's, this is going to be amazing. And then he just falls off a cliff again when he has one bad result. It's just these bipolar episodes that he has. You, you can't enjoy like the season without having these like episodes from Conte. And then towards the end of the season... You have 11 games where you concede five goals and he's happy every week. Even when we don't like, even when we didn't have a shot on goal in like 180 minutes, he was still, he was still acting happy with the media and the team and apparently not ripping into them. So it's just like, he's a weird character, but it works at the end of the day. That, that's where I'm with that, that. That's where I am at with him because he's just, it must work because He's he's got the results. Yeah, I, I've got to like I've got to praise the players as well for mm-hmm. having the mental fortitude to put up with that as well because um, there's a really good uh, 
deep dive on um, Spurs getting top four on the Athletic, and it was saying how like at times the players were spooked by like his Burnley comments and stuff, and especially when he's like, yeah, this squad, the level's not so high and stuff like that. That must be hard to then go in and motivate yourself to perform to a high level, but particularly in the last few weeks, so many people have stepped up, and um, I've got to shout out both Conte and Royale for making Royale work because I thought that was impossible. When Doherty got injured and I I, I thought things were going to kind of start to crumble a little bit, which sounds crazy to say because it's Matt Doherty, but I just genuinely thought Emerson Royale was that bad. And remember like when Doherty got injured, everyone was going, who can we convert to a right wing back? Like can Lucas play there? Are we going to put Kulusevski there? And towards the end of the season, Emerson Royale was playing well. He was playing well. He was playing well. I would still sell him, but he was playing well. Glenn's making a face. <laughs> like never, never, never expect Glenn to 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 praise Emerson Royale. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> just as a player, just as a player. But um, no, I, I I agree. I think I I wanted to um, really build on the point that Cosmo is saying that the players clearly trust Conte because. Um, the difference between Conte's behaviour where he's obviously very emotional, but I think the emotion uh, that uh, the emotion with Conte is not hidden. You're not guessing what he's thinking. You're not, you're not second guessing yourself. And he says it how he's, how he feels it. Like sometimes it's to the detriment of him, but most of the time it's just the, the honesty will, will pierce through a lot of the, a lot of the, the white noise, like a lot of the, the media control, like the, the media trained managers, like the comments that you make after games, like, oh, we have to bounce back. We have to do this. We have to do that. Like we got sick of that under Mourinho. We got sick of that under, under Nuno, like comments like that are, are just white noise. And so to hear Conte, like really kind of, whether it's through emotion or whether it's calculated, really like be like this, this is like, this team is not good enough. Like and and the players trust in that. It's not because he it's not because he wants to like wipe his hands off it. It's like he's telling it as it is. I think the players trust and respect Conte in A telling the truth and B like knowing that he'll they'll be able to work with him to improve. Because with Nuno, everything was cryptic. Everything was everything was like you couldn't really read into what he was thinking or saying. And with the reports that have come out since he'd been sacked it was clear that the like, players, like, we just have no relationship with him. We don't know what he's thinking or saying. The, the staff are, like, very private people and they weren't able to build a rapport. And uh, with that comes, like, a lack of trust. You c- They couldn't really trust Nuno to, to coach them to improve and that was clear on the pitch. Like, if you don't, have a, if you don't trust your manager, if you don't have a dialogue with your manager, then the, the team is just not going to work as, as a result, like, Managers like Zidane and Ancelotti literally work on vibes. They're yeah. managers that I'd say technically and tactically, they aren't the most astute, but they have a relationship and they have a dialogue and they have an understanding of their players and their players trust them and they literally win leagues and Champions Leagues on vibes. So it, like that is important. It's Did you guys... Sorry, Joe. Sorry, Fuzzy. But it is something... I remember I was thinking about this the other day, actually in the pod we did when Conte got appointed. And everything you said is is completely true to what we were saying at the time when it happened, Eddie. If you, if you compare when... Because uh, I think the question got put to us about what's the difference between the outburst that 
someone like Conte is going to regularly have and the ones that Jose are going to have. And I think we mentioned on the pod there that like Conte has this recent recent success that you can look to and you know that, as you said, Eddie, the, these players know that they'll, they'll improve under him if they just if they just listen to him and take everything in. And I think, as you've said, like over, over the course of the season, you've seen, you've seen that gradually, gradually the players are improving as they're listening to him and they're not, they're not like taking the comments to heart. They know it's, it's almost coming from a good place. Whereas obviously under Jose, you, you don't know whether he's just saying it to sort of get a reaction out of you or whether he actually means it. So I'm, I'm glad it, that it's come out the way where it has, because we, we did sort of touch on that in his in the pod when we appointed him. Yeah, and the number of players that have improved under him is just nuts. So, like I mentioned, even Emerson becoming a competent player, but um, like Dyer, for example, like you think back to he was good under Jose at first, but then towards the end of the season he got dropped, and people were saying that he's just like mistake ridden. Ben Davis, in particular, in my opinion, this season he's been one of the best uh, centre backs in the league. Sessignon was basically completely forgotten about. He's now a very serviceable wing back. Um, yeah. Doherty. 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 Yeah. Hoybier. Yeah, these these, play, these players have reached new levels. And I think another one who actually has gone completely under the radar, I don't think has had any mentions whatsoever in, especially in recent weeks, who's, and has like had what, four clean sheets in the last five games or something stupid? Lloris. Against Burnley, that, that would have been a nightmare fixture for him like a year ago, two years ago. Doesn't come and claim the ball. Had a lot of set pieces against us. Brought Veghorst on. He was ill as well from that virus that he had. He was unbelievable that day. And he's gone completely un- unnoticed. And I think he's actually even improved under Conte. Yeah, yeah. And we've signed him to a new contract as well. Which he's playing with his feet as well on the yeah. contest. Some of the passes that he's he's strung, like like I've actually started moves. Like the I think the pass he made to potentially Sessignon against maybe maybe it was Burnley that led to to the penalty. Or, or I can't remember. It led to a goal. It was it's through a Larice pass, and we were saying we were like we were absolutely worried. Like when Conte came in. When we were looking at clips of Inter Milan of like the goalkeeper playing with his feet, but Larice has improved like with the ball at his feet as well. So I agree, Glenn. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, oh, definitely, definitely. I I feel like maybe maybe should we should we skip ahead a little bit uh, to the Norwich game? Um, and I just want to get your your guys' thoughts on going into that game. Was there anything within you that was thinking like we're gonna mess up here or? Were you confident that we were going to do it? Give it, Jed. <laughs> Jed, you put fifty pound on Norwich, didn't you? No, 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 no. I was, I was thinking about it, but no, I didn't do it in the end. All the Spurs fans did it in the odd shop, so I was like, "Fuck it, it's not really, it's not really worth it." Um, listen, I think, I think most majority of Spurs fans had that little thing in the back of their mind that we've been here before. We've, we've gone to Newcastle on the final day when they've already been relegated. They've got, they had 10 men and they beat us 5-1. Now, bear in mind, that wasn't just a finished top four, but it was going against Arsenal to finish above them for the first time in how long? So um, there, was, there was just that in the back of my mind, but I didn't actually realise how bad Norwich were. 
they're, they're championship bounds, like for like half a season. I did not realise how... Because who's, who's really sitting down to watch Norwich? I know they're rock bottom and they lose every week, but I didn't talk <laughs> how bad they actually were. Like that I couldn't name part. more than a few of their players as well. Yeah, like, man, neither can it's I. Just, it's just a team of bodies that are just there to get beaten. Also, there was there was so much back and forth between us and Arsenal fans for that, I'd say, the, the month in advance to that game. Obviously, leading up to North London derby and then with it going down to the final day like it did, there was so much back and forth that I wasn't really trying to give it out just in case. Because anything can happen. Like They can get a penalty in the first minute. We could get a red card. Anything could have happened. And I was just not... I didn't want to put myself in a place where... The receipts could have been crazy. <laughs> the receipts would have been mad. No, you, <laughs> you went big, Jed. You went big. I remember you putting Taylor on your story with <laughs> the crying face at uh, the <laughs> League Anthem. That was yeah, a lot, I, by the way. That that was that literally just made me burst out loud laughing. When, when, yeah, I when they that. lost 3-0, I had to because it, I was there at the pub with them. I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm missing this opportunity. So I just slapped, his, slapped a video of him on with the European <laughs> music. Got a couple, got a couple laughs. But yeah, man, I just, after that, I was like, yeah, let me not say anything. They were trying to draw me out. They were like, come on, man, it's done. You know you're beating Norwich. And I'm like, nope, you're not getting nothing out of me. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I saw some tragic things on Twitter. I saw I saw this Arsenal fan who had like photoshopped Odegaard, Saka and like a bunch of their players into Norwich shirts and being like, come on guys, let's do this. I was just like, I, I, I had so much temptation to just go through all of them because there was loads of them and just write like, oh well, and just like get there, just, just get them raging. But you know what? I think with Arsenal fans, in the end, they just do it to themselves. They're, they're, they're just, they're so... Yeah. There's such Indeed. a feeble fan base. It's almost pointless to 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 poke them and take the piss out of them because they just they just do it to themselves. Um, we don't. They don't need our help to embarrass themselves. No, exactly. They're, they're, they don't. They're, the whole club and and like the the social media fan base is like a walking meme. Like from time they are making like Champions League compilations, bro. Oh, that's the like, best. I need to go back and watch that. I, it's, I need it's to quite, go back and watch it's that. Like you, man, you, man, were really, 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 really serious about getting top four with Tavares. I, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even <laughs> a joke. Like, uh, uh, obviously, this could have end up very badly for us. Like, if if we lost any of those last six games, but like, they they were really, really like they were dead ass. Like, yeah, uh, like Tavares is uh, look at him. Oh yeah, like Tavares is gonna is gonna get champion. Champions League for us. Saka, Odegaard, and, and what's his face? They're all going to be they're, they're all going to be playing in the Champions League. But bro, why are you making compilations? Do not do this to yourself. <laughs> do not do this to yourself because from time you can lose to Crystal Palace, you can lose to Brighton like we did. You can lose to Newcastle. They didn't just like draw those games. They lost them. They lost them. That Newcastle game was so beautiful, man. It, that it, was so beautiful. I was so nervous for it, but. It was it was just amazing. I was uh, on holiday in Athens and I watched it in a bar with like a load of Geordies and there was just this one gooner at the front of the pub and he just thought he was such a hard man. Like the whole game, he was just like being, it's worse, it's the worst arsehole team I've ever seen. It's the worst arsehole. He wasn't even, first of all, he was a very, let's just say vertically challenged, skinny little bloke, but he was like really trying to be like the big man like he thought he was like the leader of a firm just like sitting right at the front of the bar just a whole game and you could tell he was hedging 
you could tell he was hedging. He was just like, oh, this is so bad. It's not a joke. They're a joke. And you could tell because he knew that me and my cousin behind him, he knew we were Spurs fans. So he was just trying to hedge it, hedge it, hedge it until he could finally, you know, give it when, when he thought that they would score. But he actually, he walked out of the pub at 1-0. Um, that's how little faith this guy had in his team. This, this is how pathetic they are. This is how pathetic yeah. they are. Who on earth would no, do that? Arsenal fans, they, they, you know what their signature move is? M- making social media videos to embarrass <laughs> themselves. And secondly, they're, they're second, fin- you know, they're, they're finishing. Even at the 60th minute to beat the traffic. Them WWE guys who have like their, their signature move and then they have the finishing move. The finishing movie is them walking out the stadium. They all walk <laughs> out and fucking one nil down. Oh, yeah, time. mate. They all walk out. Try to, beat, try to beat the traffic on Visby Road. Yeah, trust. It's it's like an off offside trap. They're running out the stadium. <laughs> one nil down. Oh, but yeah. uh, that, that game, that Newcastle game, that's probably the most nervous I've ever been watching a game of football. And like Spurs weren't even involved, apart from you know what? It it was actually. This might be an Arsenal fan might say this is Tim Pot, but the the actual level of nerves was probably near to the Champions League final because I don't remember actually being that nervous. And I suppose it's kind of worse when your team's not playing because you just feel like a lack of control. But um, when Wilson almost scored that halfway line half volley, like ah, I would have gone so nuts and I would have absolutely put that little man in a headlock. Are you going to quote it yourself in the chat what you were going to do if Wilson scored that? Yeah, I was going to run around Athens with my cock out if that went in. (laughs) (laughs) That was historic. That was historic. If that went in, that would have been the best way for us to get Champions League, honestly. (laughs) I mean... To be I like in the silence after the statement. You know what it is? You know what it is? I I am when Steve like everyone will attest to this when Steve Bruce was manager of Newcastle and you managed to start creasing as soon as I mentioned Steve Bruce. Uh but yeah, when Steve Bruce was manager of Newcastle, there was nothing I wanted more than Newcastle to go down. I hated Steve Bruce's Newcastle. And you love the Saudi among, regime. Uh, uh, chief so. among them, chief among them, I hated Joel Linton. I hated Joel Linton. Why do you hate him so much? Was, I saw you I'll saying this you in the why. chat earlier. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. He is dreadful. He's a bad, bad footballer. And usually bad footballers, they don't stress me out. But he's bad, a dreadful footballer, apart from two games a season when he uh, plays us. As a striker, as a striker. Yeah. Now he's our best midfielder. Yeah, 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 100%. As a number eight, he's he's sensational. He'd be our best and, midfielder. And, and the thing is, and the thing is, he was really, really, really good against Arsenal. And obviously he flashed that ball in for for the, the Benny Blanco own goal, which I obviously enjoyed quite a lot. Um, but yeah, it was just nuts. I was so happy. I was screaming. And my dad's like, I know, I know Newcastle are winning because he was upstairs. Like, I know Newcastle are winning. The way you were shouting at the TV, and I was like, of course, of course, brother, of course. What do you guys think of the revisionism about uh, coming from Arsenal fans now, saying, um, yeah, it's better for the young squads to be in the Europa League? And where's your trophies? Did you get a trophy for getting top four? Like after they've made yeah. compilation on compilation of like. Saka and Odegaard in 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 like a Champions League kit, like Vlahovic. 
Yeah. Bro, they were they were they were putting Mbappe in their kit, bro. I promise you. I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. But oh, no, I, honestly, on on a serious note, Arsenal are are in tatters now. That was their that was their one chance to get top four Champions League football for the next five years. Because unless they win the Europa League, they are they are in serious bother because they're going to have to play 12 games that they didn't have to play this year. Like they're, 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 they, they were knocked out of cups early this year, both cups, and they didn't have European football. And their squad was thin as it was. They ran away from playing Spurs in January because they didn't have enough players. They had one COVID case. They need to either recruit 10 players this summer or they're, they're in the bin. Because they, they they won't be able to they won't be able to play a team. They had one game. They had one game a week for I'd say at least five. Exactly. Months season. And they they're, they're not getting Champions run, League for the next five years. They still managed to run Saka into the ground. Exactly. Well, from one game a week, it's like um, oh. I have heard other people say this as well, but um, I remember thinking this at the time with Arteta. Like, I I don't think him beefing all of his senior players and then getting rid of them was actually a good idea. And in the end, that's, that's cost them not having the bodies in there, in there, like Aubameyang and then even like dropping Lacazette recently. Like he's just, he's just not a good manager. I just don't think he's a good manager, to be honest. I think um, it would have been embarrassing to finish behind them. Let me just say that it would have been embarrassing. It would have been, I, I, I agree. I think with Arsenal, it's just like, they, they somehow they somehow managed to convince everyone that like getting the squad down to what eighteen players was like beneficial for them, like that 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 was going to be like ah uh, it's going to mean that the the, the team are knit, like tight together, etc. etc. Et it's like there were times where they were playing Shaka at left back because they got rid of half like half their reserves. So it's like how can that be beneficial to the, the team? It's not, but. They 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 thought you know they're singing there we've got Super Mick Arteta whatever, um, and they thought that he's making the best decisions for the club. Realistically, he was just making the best decisions for his ego because like he the the big personalities in the in 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 the club or in or in the squads. Look, I understand like disruptive disruptive players probably do need to get rid of sooner rather than later, but not at a crucial point in the season because. Even if Aubameyang got five extra goals this season, that's five extra goals coming from somewhere else. If Lacazette was playing, that's an extra goal from somewhere else. If you had some of the defenders in, uh, that they got rid of, or Maitland-Niles, whoever, whatever, even Saliba, that's an extra bodies you've got in your squad. And the fact that they didn't have that costs them in the end. Yeah, I think that covers it well. The Zoom is about to end, so let's go to part two. Ah, uh, yeah, this would, that will prevent me from doing anything crazy. Yeah, Eddie, I don't know where you were, man, but you're, you're moving like you're in heat right now. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like a cat in heat. Jesus Christ. Just oh disappeared for five God. minutes. Comes back talking about loads of stuff. Uh, not safe for work. This is a professional <laughs> <And> podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, Right, we're all we're all over the place in terms of chronology, but I wanna I wanna give give some flowers to a few few of the players for for Norwich because one, 
I thought Ben Sankar, even though he's playing a load of bums, that's probably his, one of his best performances I've seen in a Spurs shirt. That guy was class. The guy unlocked like prime Zico. That first assist was insane. Granted, I don't know what the Norwich defence were doing. The fact that our one centre midfielder can pass to the other and he's just thrown goal. Um, but I thought he was really classy and he's just a classy player. And him and Kulu have transformed our season. But the person who I want to give flowers to the most is Son Heung-min. Um, In my opinion, he's a Tottenham legend now. I, I just... I don't care what, what some grumpy guy, some grumpy Enoch out guy is going to say to me on Twitter saying that, oh, he's not won a trophy, so he's not a legend. No, Sonny is a legend. Um, should have won PFA Player of the Year. And I was just buzzing for him to get the golden boot. And you could see that the whole team were absolutely buzzing for him. Um, and shout out to Lucas for holding him aloft because what a photo. <laughs> Lucas loves loves give, giving us the iconic moments, bruv. He actually loves it. Um I, uh, over the course of the match, I was screaming at the team just to get the ball to Son. And like, and I was screaming at Son when he was missing some of like these golden opportunities. You know, like, you know, the opportunities that Son misses because like, Son misses like the same opportunity every time. You know, when he's like one on one and then he just hits it at the goalkeeper. It always happens, man. And I'm just thinking, yeah, this guy's not serious about getting golden boot. And then when uh, Kane flashed that cross across the goal, and then it was a, a literal tap in, and then Crawl was just saved it. I was like, "Yeah, this is, this is, this, this is too much." And then I don't know if you guys saw the video that's been circling on Twitter now. Like Dyer just like going to Crawl's like he, he actually is like, "Yeah, what's Salah giving you, bro?" Like he, 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 <laughs> I didn't see like, that. Salah, he's like, "What's Salah giving you?" Like essentially being like, "Yeah, what has he paid you to to make all these saves?" Um. It's mad. Like uh, it's quite jokes how they managed to catch that on mic. But um, yeah, I was I was absolutely delighted for him and and for him to get golden boot with that goal. And that wasn't like the first time. That wasn't the first time he's he's done that goal. And the other time was always on his other foot. Like he is just a sensational, or sensational player. We should say really. Really. Um, he's a uh, he's remarkable and and yeah, I agree, Cosmo. He'll go down in history as as one of one of my favourite Spurs players of all time. I think he might be mine already. I can't lie. He's definitely my favourite of the current crop of players. One hundred percent. Glenn, I know you love. I know you love your your, your gammon boys more. Yeah, we know why Glenn doesn't agree. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Dyer's there. <laughs> Glenn, are you are you, are you okay now, Burnley, of being relegated? By the way, right Glenn. There. Has someone, right someone checked in on Glenn with Burnley being relegated? No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Everton stayed up. Everton stayed up. I'm an Everton fan, innit? <laughs> Whoa, he finally admitted it. i got words for you. Why did you rotate so heavily on the last day against Arsenal? <laughs> right, you know they were at hangovers. That's See, why they got rotated. Yeah. That, you can't tell me this guy ain't Everton fan. He is. He just admitted it on air. Mm, give it a rest. Caught him in 4K. He was at the party with him. He <laughs> <laughs> probably was. Probably was. You probably feel. Oh, go and have another one. Have another one, Seamus. <laughs> Seamus. That, that was so Lampard, though, wasn't it? That was just so Lampard. Oh. Yeah, I'm rotate the keeper. I'm just going to do everything to lose this match. He's just what a horrible man. They yeah. need. Needs, they need to get him out. The, the conspiracy against uh, Spurs uh, continues. That, that's what it was. It literally was. Yeah. Oh, let, let's let's just roll over for Arsenal because well, it won't be given a penalty, man. Of course, it was 
Of course it was less rollover. It was all planned. It was all planned. Talking of, talking of Son, for me, player of the season, um, let's get into moments of the season. Uh, for me, um, actually, I'm going to let you guys go first. I'm going to let you guys go first. Wait, can um, I just make a, a, a quick point on, on yeah, PFA? Go on. go on, go on. That was a disgrace. That's, I'm, I, I think that's fair to say. I think Foden, Gallagher, both should not have been in that list. Just outright shouldn't have been in that list. And the fact that Foden managed to win is uh, the at least young one is is an, a disgrace in itself. But Son not being recognised, not even being nominated, and then he ends up winning PFA Player of the Year and Tottenham to get top four on the back of his performances. It just goes to show that it's all about a popularity contest and Tottenham are not a popular club. That's all there is to it. I'm I'm just going to throw in a a question right now because it is related to this, but we will do a big section on questions. Um, it's from Aaron and it's saying, which teams does Sonny not start for in the world? Is there any, maybe Liverpool? For me, he starts for, he starts for any team in the world, personally. PSG, maybe. I think he starts for PSG now. Yeah. I don't know. It depends if they have the balls to drop Neymar, but he's, I think he's better than Neymar. So, I don't know. I'm better than him. You can play with him, though. You can play with him. Yeah. Did you see? Did you guys see that? Apparently, it came out that um, City were actually in for Son in seventeen eighteen, but Levy didn't let it go any further. Apparently, Uh, which is Levy is kind of that guy. I can't lie. Like I, I know there's been so much groundswell against him, but every time since he sold Dimitar Berbatov, that guy's bore a large, large scar. And he's just been like, I'm not going to let my top players go anywhere. And I have to rate that. I have to rate that because we used to get bantered before it was, oh, where's your trophies? Where's that? Everyone would call us a selling club. You can't yeah. say that anymore. You can't say that anymore. Yeah. We keep our best players. It, it, it's almost been like, instead of investing in the team, it's been like, we're keeping our best players. That for, for like, for a few years now, it's been like, not, we don't spend big money on big players, but we keep our best players. Yeah. So you do have you do have to give him like props for keeping Kane, Son, keeping Lloris as well, keeping like these big name players that have been so good for us. Mm. I think since Bale and and then spending all the Bale money, he he just was like, yeah, we, we can't do this again. We we can't we can't we can't have another rebuild where we need our best it. players. Yeah. Yeah, we cannot. We cannot. We cannot. We cannot. Exactly. If he thinks we can't replace him, then he keeps them at any cost. Although I will say, like, and again, going back to Sun, because I think the last time I was on the pod, I think I said that Daniel Levy know, needs to know when the right time to sell a player is. Um, it's turned out that maybe now was not the right time to sell Sun. Understatement of the year. He's got a fucking new contract since then, anyway, I think. Um, but there, there has been a lot of opportunities where he probably should have sold. But then again, you, I think you do want to keep that crop of players together for a while because I think, in my head, I'm thinking of players like Deli Ali we did feel like we were on the cusp of achieving something, so I can understand it. But I think that once they start to have that dip for two years, you need to just sort of 
because two years is a long time to sort of be out of form. With Sun, it's just an inconsistency thing throughout the season. Um, but when players start to dip, you need to sort of just like, not even cut your losses with someone like Delhi because we still would have made a profit. But you need to know when the right time to sell a player is. Um, but I do agree in the sense that keeping our best players is the best thing because we don't want to be seen as that club that just gets bullied around by the top clubs. I think the only time we've sort of sold one of our key players to the top club in recent times is um, Carl Walker to City. Yeah. Fair enough, we, we, well, we haven't really had many good right-backs since then, but I think you're both right. Like We've, we've managed to hold on to our key players since, and um, I guess he's got to get some props for that. I agree with the dip thing. What I don't agree with is a lot of people saying that you, you should sell players at like their peak value because... Yeah. One value is is subjective. How the hell are you going to know that they're at their their peak anyway? Yeah, maybe you can use data and you can look at age, but I mean, a lot of players these days are defying age. I mean, Son's getting better and better, and he's like, what is he about to turn twenty nine? So you could say, yeah, he's about to turn thirty. So you could say he's already, in theory, he's 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 kind of over his peak. So I don't think people actually know when the peak is, and a lot of people would use this argument for selling Dyer to Man United. And um, like, if we, you could only ever say that with hindsight. You could only ever say, "Oh, we should have sold him for fifty million when he started playing badly." That's the only time you could say that because at the time, if we sold Dyer to Man United, who, by the way, over a course of many years, we finished ahead of, which is huge. Can you imagine thinking that when, uh, you know, when when they had Fergie's, it was like unimaginable. We've been able to hold them off and part of that is not selling our best players to United which is what we used to do so if we did actually sell Dyer for 50 million to United in like peak potch people would have been in uproar people would have been in absolute uproar and then the second part to that point is we didn't sell Dyer and now he's good again so it's, it's another argument to like not sell good players essentially yeah it's, it's, it's also noteworthy that Spurs are not a club that need to raise funds. We we don't need to raise funds. We've got the, our financial fair play is like we can spend like eight hundred million or something stupid. I, I can't remember what what it was. Over the next three years, we can spend like eight hundred million, and and still be within the financial fair play rules. It's not like we're we're Everton or or another team that are struggling with financial fair play. Is we we have so much credit in the bank in terms of the way we run our club. We don't need to sell our players for profit anymore. We don't need to turn a profit on players. We can, and then we probably still will in the future with some players like Bergvine, for example, and other players, but we don't need to anymore. Yeah, well said. Let's get into um, moment of the season. I want to get your guys' moments of the season. I've got a, personally probably a clear one and maybe it might end up just being everyone else's, but I want to get in the gate early in it. Um, for me, has to be losing to Man United. No, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I thought you might Wait, say that. That, was, that, 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 is, that is a good one. No, 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 I, I, was, I was trying to pull the rug out of everyone. That's probably my second. That's the second moment of the season. I think objectively, oh, that has to be the moment of the season. Like, objectively. Yeah. That wasn't what I was yeah. going to say, but... I don't, celebrate, I don't want to celebrate a loss. Like, it was embarrassing to lose like that. And um, it, was, it was so toxic at the time. So, I'm going to go for the positive option. It has to be Bergvine against... Uh, Leicester for me 
That has to be my favourite moment of the season for two reasons. Um, one, obviously, just a dramatic win. It was essential that we won that game. And the, the fact that like we went 2-1 down and I was ready to throw everything like at my TV. I was like, so done. Obviously, we were, we said we said this on the podcast after the game. Me, Jed, Glenn, we were all on Discord um, and we were all watching the game. And we Obviously, I couldn't be there because I was watching it on a rock goals. So Yeah, so you were like five minutes behind. Yeah. <laughs> and we started like, uh, I've never seen three grown men scream as much as we did. Um, and then obviously my, my brother and my dad were watching with me and they were shouting as well. But that was like, that was jubilation. That was, that was, I've never been so happy. That was the first reason. The second reason was that it was such a clear indication of the direction that we were heading in. Um, because if you looked at uh, an equivalent game, I don't like talking about Arsenal so much on the Spurs podcast, but when Arsenal um, got an equaliser against, I believe it was Crystal Palace. Yeah. Um, and they celebrated like that draw like it was a win. They celebrated the draw. They got a last minute. There was enough time in that game for them to get a winner if they wanted to. And they celebrated the draw as a points, as a point one, not a not two points dropped. That would have felt like two points dropped if we didn't go to win that game. And the fact that we did with essentially 30 seconds left on the on the clock, I can't lie, that was beautiful moment in the season for me so that's my favorite yeah favorite we were two no, two one down in the 95th minute like if if you look at it still from that it's just it's just nuts um time, like there was like less than a minute left of added time and that we were two one down at that point yeah i mean just what a game that's that is also my moment of the season so i'm just gonna hop in there and you guys you guys know that um i really hate leicester i mean i hate a lot of teams but leicester i just i i dislike like on a potentially on another level and the reason is because um i was exposed i was unfortunately exposed to leicester city fans when i was at university um previously had, had never ever met one and this girl i gotta say she's she's one of my best friends shout out megan i absolutely love megan megan if you're listening love you to bits but what you exposed me to was like when you're doing the gardening and you turn over a brick and you see a bunch of termites and worms and spiders. It's just yeah, like yeah. it was a it was a a horror show. It was a horror show. One of the first things she said to me is, "I really hate Harry Kane." I, I was like, "Why?" Because back then it wasn't even popular to hate on Harry Kane. Harry Kane was just kind of coming through. That was like his second season. He was just seen as some clean cut guy, plays for England. Like there was nothing to hate about him. She was just like, yeah, I, I hate Harry Kane and all this stuff. And then through her, I discovered that there was this team in the middle of nowhere that hated Spurs for no reason. For no reason. I can understand Arsenal fans hating Spurs, but I didn't realise that this Tim Pot club full of clappers like, are obsessed with us, sing about us in almost every single game. And yeah, it was a horrifying discovery. So to beat them like that, gives me joy just absolutely gives me joy because my mo- my moment of the season last season as well was beating them 4-2 when Bale just <laughs> came in and just uh inflicted damage on them for no reason we didn't even need to win that game it what? was uh, that must be what euphoria feels like beating them like that that that's all I'm I, saying I, I want to throw one one other moment into the hack I think that's probably a clear winner to be honest in Everyone terms of the drama 
In terms of what was that? <laughs> free Palace too. No. <laughs> I'm, 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 there, is, there, is, there is a free two in mind, but it's, uh, it's, it's Glenn not was, that one. Glenn was one of the players, that, one of the people that pit, pitch and page. What are you talking about? Yeah, didn't you Didn't you give it to Vieira? Oh, I'll give it. But in terms of justice, I think it has to be Spurs three, Man City two. I think on it, honestly, it's the most justice I've ever seen on a football pitch. Harry justice, Kane was un- <laughs> Harry Kane was unbelievable that day. Scores a winning goal offside. They get a penalty, which is one of the most dubious penalties this season. They score it two all. Harry Kane, one of the last minutes of the game, or I think it was the last minute of the game, yeah. rises above all of their defenders like a phoenix from the ashes, heads the ball home. Honestly, it has to be one of the moments of the season for me. And I had to give it the dramatic the dr- dramatic explanation because the Bergwijn one is probably a clear winner. But the justice, the justice award goes to that game. It was justice reincarnate, honestly. Why is Glenn, was... why is Glenn coming like Peter Drury? <laughs> it was pure justice. It was absolute. It was just beautiful to see. Glenn, you're, you're giving um, Liverpool a wonder season if, if it was done on aggregate score vibes. Termites, Phoenixes, and the heroin. How N17 <laughs> reviewed the season. <laughs> Jed, what's yours? I feel I, I feel bad that you're last because there's a lot of we've taken the best ones, haven't we? Uh, Let's be honest. No, I ain't I ain't gonna expand on my one because it's the same as you two. Um and for the same reason as as Eddie. I don't have the hatred towards Leicester like you do, but for me, it's the fact that we were um, we were on Discord together watching it, and we just I, I ran away from my laptop, and I could still hear everyone screaming. I just, <laughs> it was it was. I, I wish you were there to witness it, Cosy, but like you still would have been seeing the Leicester second goal by the time we saw it. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. Um, I think, yeah, I think no one took that Man United one as their moment of the season, which. I guess they factor because it, it was so it was quite emotionless, wasn't it? Like logically, it is kind of the the moment of the season, but it's hard to kind of draw any joy with that from that. Yeah, it's the turning point of the season, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's like yeah, probably the well, most well, important of the season. Yeah, none none of, none of us were very very happy about that game. Let's be honest. You don't yeah. want to celebrate a loss, like whoever whoever like. Whoever won out of that game would have had to lose the game, whether it would be us or United. They've had to lose the game to invariably win from that game. Although with with Chris, Cristiano Ronaldo blocking the Conte move, like maybe if United lost, it wouldn't have mattered. But who knows? Yeah, and again, like comparing that in terms of like the the logical nature of that, I kind of feel like like that with with um, Glen City game as well because. It was dramatic. It, it was dramatic, actually. Watching that game, I was screaming and stuff. But I think that Leicester game is about as dramatic as football can get. That's that's the thing. Even though the City result was a be- was a better result, objectively. Yeah. By the way, our, our record against the top two, we've beaten City twice and we've drawn with Liverpool twice. It's nuts. That's what gives me hope going into next season. I know... 
I know I always say that we we don't struggle to get ourselves up for these games. But I think, I mean, I don't know if now is a good time to come onto it or, or if you want to do questions, but with the news coming out today that we're getting this injection. Yeah, let's do that now. Let's do that now. We're getting the injection of 150 million um, and a majority of, of it is going to go into um, incomings. Um, I think now Conte can really get to, Conte and Paratici can really get to building the squad that he needs to challenge on all fronts. And I'm not saying that we're going to, I don't even know if we'll come close to challenging for the title, but I think one thing you do know is that if Conte gets the squad that he wants and he's going to have a full pre-season to work with them, you know that it's it's going to be, it's going to be there or thereabouts because you know how he drills them and you know everyone's going to buy into it. And you know, you can see the results. There's, there's as we said before, the, the recent success is there to to look on. So, I mean, I wasn't expecting us to have this much money, and that's that's without outgoings and potential Champions League money. So, we could be looking at two hundred to two hundred and fifty million just to bring in players. And and by the looks of it, some of the players we're looking to bring in are, are freeze anyway. So, and I w- I would like that to be honest. If if you bring in someone like Ericsson, if you bring in someone like Perisic, obviously it looks like we're bringing in Fraser Forster. Those are three players there that automatically bolster the squad. One of them is probably a starter in Perisic. Ericsson will be rotation, four-star, second keeper, whatever. But that's three players there that if they do come in, there's there's no transfer fee. So you still have the rest to play with. You can go big on players if you want to go big. So I'm I'm really excited for the summer, to be honest. What I love about it as well is I feel like it's a big political move, move because Conte, for so long, has kind of called out the board and kind of be like oh can you match me can you match me Spurs to do this cash injection they've had to like declare it on uh I don't know exactly how that business side works but you know as like a I guess as Enoch is a publicly traded company at least I think it is they have to declare these sorts of things so they're meeting they're meeting with Conte in two to three days and they've just put this out as a massive announcement you can't get any bigger in terms of saying we're going to back you, than doing that. Yeah, and it's it's exactly the opposite of what Man United have been doing for years, and the and the Glazer owners have been doing at Man United for years. They've been taking money out of the club in shares to to their own companies to sort of like pay off debts. We're now putting money in, not to pay off debts, but to to bolster the squad on and off the pitch. Is what what the statement says. And it's a massive statement because they haven't done it for any manager in the past. They haven't done it for Pochettino, who brought us probably our best years at Spurs, like in my lifetime. They haven't done it for Mourinho, who is the most successful manager that we have had in recent years. And they haven't done it for anyone else. So I think it's a massive statement to back Conte and for him to stay. He He can't be like, they're not backing me now because we clearly are. Yeah. I think, um, I think, I mean, my brother described it as a, like, uh, our, like our board doing like a peacock dance for, for, for Conte, which I found hilarious. Like, obviously it's a bit more than that. Um, but in a way it is just kind of like putting it out there that this is a mission statement. This is some, this is like where our cards are on the table 
about what we want. If you look at the if you look at the landscape of football at the moment, if Conte was to walk, we would be in a very difficult position. Um, I don't think there is anyone that could like. You'd, you'd essentially have to rebrand as a football club um, in terms of the football that you play, like the recruitment. Like even if Conte went and we brought in, say, Graham Potter, who, by the way, finishing the top half of the table this season. With that Brighton side, like it's not going to be as easy a grab as we think it would be. Um, for, let's say if it was someone like Graham Potter, he plays a completely different style of football to Conte, and so all that work that has gone in over the last seven months um, would would essentially be for now because we're going to have to start all over again. And then that just puts doubts in 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 the minds of like potentially players like Kane, who who really really want Conte to stay. Players like Son, who I know signed a new contract, but clearly enjoys working under Conte. And then, like, the players that he's brought in, like Kulisevsky, Romero, uh, well, Romero is under Nuno, but um, Kulisevsky uh, and Bentancur, like, those players have come to work under Conte. So it is just a massive mission statement and and a dedication to investing in the squad. And we haven't seen that from from Enoch in, in a long time. And... Whether or not this should have happened sooner, late, sooner rather than now, is you know a completely different point. It's just really, really encouraging to see at this time. Do we think with this, with this peacock dance, as you say, Eddie, is there any chance now that Conte stays? Let's try and put uh, that Conte goes. Sorry, um, Jed. Do you think if PSG come knocking, do you think he might have his head turned? Uh, I I don't know. I'd like to think he wouldn't. I think I think Conte is starting to think now though that he uh, he does have a good thing going with Spurs. Um, and I think he would be stupid to leave now. You look at you look at all the work he's he's put in to get to this point, and I think you can even see it at the end of the season how much of a relief it was for him to just get over the line and get that top four. Thrown in uh, the beach. Exactly. Yeah. He, he, Man, man left Carrow Road and got straight on a flight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know didn't even go back to London. You didn't even go back to London. You went straight on holiday, bro. Do you know how hard this has been? <laughs> <laughs> he, would, he would potentially be leaving a club where he has two of the best forwards in the world. Um, well, maybe not two of the best forwards in the world. He has maybe the best striker in the world. And Son is obviously one of the best players in the world in this position. Um then you've got one of the best centre backs in the league. You've you're getting a, a big war chest to work with in the summer. You're in the top European competition. Everything is almost set up for him to like, maybe not succeed, succeed, but at least challenge now. Um, and you've done the hard work. You've done the hard work. The players know your system. And then all you need to add is a few more pieces to it, and then you're ready to go. I think he'd be stupid to leave now because PSG is a very dysfunctional club. That seems like a poison chalice to every single manager that goes in there. You need to be, a, I think, to go PSG. It's not so much a, a, a tactical thing in terms of a manager. It's more of a managing egos thing. So for them, like you said, like you said earlier, managing and vibes, they would need someone like an Ancelotti or a Zidane to go in there and just and just manage the egos that are there. Unless they're going to change their whole structure with this new Mbappe thing, where he basically runs the club. But even then, is that is that a suitable environment to work in? I don't know. It's, no. it's like, to manage it, doesn't it? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's just not suitable suitable conditions to work in. 
So I don't know, man. I think if I was him, I'd be steering well clear of PSG and I'd, I would just be staying at Spurs because he has a good thing going there. Is, is, is he really going to go to PSG to twerk for Mbappe and, <laughs> yeah. and the board? Like, yeah, you have to twerk for two people simultaneously. Like, it's, it's, it's a difficult job, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you'd know, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> pause, pause, pause. pause. <laughs> double, double pause. But, yeah, the, honestly, the Mbappe thing just spells absolute danger for who, whoever's ne- the next manager because he's, he's basically a director of football now. <laughs> it's so ridiculous, isn't it? It's, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. And then they've got the ego of players like Neymar, Messi, like Donnarumma, who's like, it's actually insane. Like that club is, going to that club is like inviting your worst, like Conte's worst nightmares into yeah, a room yeah. and, and, then, and then forming a club. He, yeah, you have no ego, control. Ego is never going to be able to handle basically having Mbappe as his boss. But yeah, but That's playing Mbappe be. left wing back. He's going to get fired on, on, the, on the day that he says, oh, yeah, do you want to go left wing back for me? Yeah, he's fired. You're gone. Have you seen that um, apparently, apparently Mbappe uh, quite likes Poch and might keep him on as manager? It's like a pet. What? Yeah, I know it is. Yeah. It is. It's like um, it's like one of those films where they have like a ridiculously evil uh, like young king who like ascends to the throne at like twelve, and then he's like, "Well, I'll keep you. I'll keep." I like Game of Thrones. It's Game of Thrones. It's genuinely yeah, Game of Thrones. Like Joffrey Baratheon. Yeah, it actually is. You're you're the hand of the king is 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 the manager. Yeah. Insanity. It, it is yeah. insane. I I um there was like a tweet. Whereas like France are going to elect a new leader and then someone like quote to it and be like, yeah, this Mbappe thing has gone too far. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. It feels like they're, they're like, they're like selling the club to Mbappe. Cause like, it's not just that he's been given the power. He's got a 300 million pounds uh, sign on fee and then a hundred million a year as a salary. That's like, that's like the value of like, better clubs. Like, yeah. it's crazy it's crazy that they're that 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 that's where it's got to and I don't think that's somewhere where Conte wants to work man like even when he was at Chelsea even you know when he was at Inter Milan these are all big clubs but like you got the you got the um you got the idea that he was very much steering the ship and he just wouldn't be steering the ship at at, at PSG so I would I would say that looking at the the, the landscape now I don't think Conte's is going to leave. I don't think he should, in my opinion. Yeah, let's hope that logic prevails in that one. My only worry is that Conte, he is an emotional guy, but let's, let's, <laughs> let's hope, let's hope for logic. Yeah, I mean, everything's pointing in the right direction, especially with this, this cash injection. Um, but yeah, let's come to the Q&A. Um, I've got quite a few on Instagram, but boys, get up the ones uh, that you mentioned as well. Um, so let's try and get through them all. Um the first one is from Ishmael, and he says, "Can Conte mount a surprise title charge next year?" No. Ish is a Liverpool fan, by the way. No, it, you can't. Be careful you what you say. He'll be keeping tabs. It's not that Ish, by the way. Yeah, it's it's not it's not possible. The yeah. city with five subs and Haaland is. <laughs> Actual, actual cheap hope 
I completely forgot about five subs. Yeah. Oh, my days. Bro, it's a cheat code. It's a cheat code. Oh, my days. They, they, they pressed up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right. They spawned Harland into their team. <laughs> spawned Harland into their team for 50 million or something. Like, this is just, like, they're, they're going to be insane next year. And even if, he, even if, on the off chance, one of the best strikers in the world doesn't perform for them, they still won the league this year. They still won the league this year. True. Without him. Ireland's only going to take them from first to first. <laughs> it's cr- yeah, it's a joke. It just means they're going to miss less chances. Although, that, that's, that's what it means. I would say, obviously, five subs is going to benefit City more, but it's going <clears> to <throat> benefit us hugely as well, especially with Conte playing the wing-backs. He already likes to change both the wing-backs. So now yeah. he can change both the wing-backs plus have three normal subs. That's why, for me... I think we will come onto this because there's a lot of questions about who you want to sign, but I think Ericsson's an essential signing because yep. with five subs, the amount of tactical creativity he's going to give us is just going to be nuts. Like we can go into yep. games with a three-five-two with him behind the strikers. That's basically, it's, you could even argue that that's potentially improving the team. I love Kulisevsky, but Ericsson is a world-class player as well. And then Ericsson can also play on the on the right, potentially whipping in balls. Um, if Kulisevsky was injured or something, he can play in the midfield too. I wouldn't do that against like big six teams. But in short, I'm I'm getting a little bit off the topic here, I know. But I think if we make the right sign-ins, I think we can we can be in the conversation, you know. I think we can be in the conversation, especially if we bring in Bastoni for me. Um, there's certain players that if we make the if we sign our first choice players, I think we'll be in the conversation. But I think you guys are probably right. I think City are just a machine. I think I think a lot of people think this five sub thing will benefit Liverpool and City the most. But I actually disagree. I think it actually closes the gap to the top two because uh, players that aren't playing well can be subbed off um, by Chelsea, United, Spurs. I'm not going to say the other team that's close in London, but they, they, if if they make some signings, they they can make more subs, and I think City. When you change a player from City, it doesn't change the game as much. I think it changes the game more if if you're if you're changing a, for example, uh, a Kulisevsky for a, for an Eriksson or something along them lines. Yeah, I think uh, it'll it'll be it's difficult to see past the top two currently because they've been so consistent. It's not just like this season, not the season before. Over the last three seasons, they've been uh, there's a difference of a point. Like even in, that's including this season. Like the the fact that they've been so close and then so close to each other, but so far away from the rest of the league, I think that it's hard to see beyond them. But like going for a title and challenging for the title. Uh, or being close to winning a title and challenging for a title are two different things. Like I think we could challenge for a title for sure. Um, whether or not we have the we have the longevity, whether or not we have the quality to to do that over thirty eight games plus Champions League plus Cup games remains to be seen. But I don't think we're, we're as far away uh, this season as we we will be next season. Agreed. Agreed. Zoom's about to run out again, so you know what that means. Part three. See you in a bit, boys. All right, next question is coming up from Glenn. Well, it's not your question, but... Well, yeah, this is it's from Remy. Uh, he says, uh, with the news of the capital in- injection and Conte's tactics working against the top clubs 
and the the front three being so uh, terrifying, do you think you can win the Champions League like basically Remy's saying that we will do next year, thinking that we're a dark horse in the Champions League? My God. That's probably even harder than winning the Premier League for me. I don't know, is it though? We have heritage for getting to the final, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Double heritage. We have full heritage. (laughs) I mean, we've got to the final with uh, probably a worse team. That's the thing. That's where it is a possibility. One-legged Sissoko. Yeah, exactly. One-legged Sissoko. Ericsson in centre mid. So so bring him back. But I just think um, with Conte's record in Europe, I'm not even thinking that much about what we can do in the Champions League. I think a run would be nice, but personally, I want us to have a run at the, at, at the title. That's what I'm focused on. I th- I think um one of the questions will be to do like what's the minimum amount of success. So I'll leave it for that. But I think um with the Champions League, the allure of the competition, and the fact that like teams that are not necessarily doing well in their domestic um competitions can go far in the Champions League you look at uh, Villarreal have done decent but they got to the semi-final of the Champions League um, and it goes either way but like you say Cosmo I think with Conte's record in Europe I think it's unlikely and um, I think with Poch part of the reason we went so far was that it was the culmination of a very very emotional journey and that propelled us to the, to the final, I believe. Like, there's, you don't get many games like the Ajax game. You know, like that's a once in a lifetime type type deal. With, uh, although we've got it twice in about four years, but obviously with lower stakes at, at Leicester. But um, yeah, I just I just think like Champions League. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think that's I think the quality of the Champions League is so high, and like. I'm just a nervous wreck, like coming against like those big teams. Like I, I wouldn't want to face a, a Bayern Munich or a, or a PSG. But and we would I'd quite fancy PSG. I was just about to say, yeah, I'd fancy PSG. I, I think part of the, part of his question is saying the fact that we've done so well against the top teams in the Prem, for example, Man City where we won, Liverpool where we should have won, we smashed Arsenal, like. When when we, Conte we has been so rolling, bad yeah. Chelsea. That's the thing. Yeah, it, it only takes one bad game to be knocked out of the Champions League, and that's why I exactly. agree with you guys. And and we will have bad games next season. I, I think we're we're more likely to win an FA Cup more than anything else. Yeah, I agree. And and I think Conte has heritage in that as well. Heritage. <laughs> I have to say, I think the fear factor of Chelsea has kind of gone away a bit for me, though. I, I, I would definitely fancy us against them. Um, but yeah, let's come on to... It's, it's a similar question again, um, but it's a little bit of a different twist. Um, it's from Barney. It's saying, how many sign-ins do we need to compete with the likes of City when a new fi- five rub... Five rub? Five sub rule. Oh, <laughs> five <Whoa>! <laughs> Well, you got you in your mind, big man. Five, <laughs> five, five sub rule starts. Um, yeah, so let, let's say, how many signings do you think we need, and where do we? What positions need strengthening? Uh, Jed, do you want to take it? I think we probably need anywhere from six to nine signings, which is what's being sort of said from all the reliable Spurs journalists. I think. Realistically, we're going to need a, a wing back on either side, on both sides. Sorry, um, because I think 
looks like Reguilon's probably leaving. Looks like Emerson or Doherty will leave. I don't know which one I would rather sell at the moment. I must say, since the past couple of weeks, I've, I've been quite impressed with Emerson. I think it does give us that option to go a bit more defensive if we need to. But at the same time, I think Emerson holds more value. And I think if if we can sell him and get a bit more a bit more transfer budget into the squad for someone who's a bit more well-rounded, then I would rather do that. Um, so, yeah, two new wing-backs on either side. Uh, a centre-back, depending on what centre-backs leave, there might be a few centre-backs who leave. I don't know, Rodon, Tanganga, Sanchez. I hope Sanchez stays now. I think he's proved that he, he can be reliable when called upon. Um, Rodon, I would actually like, like to stay, but again, if he's not going to get minutes, then he's got to go. Um, then I think two centre-mids, obviously a backup keeper, and Bergwijn's probably going to leave, so maybe another forward player as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I was going to say six would be a good number. Um, yeah. I think I think what you don't want to do is potentially like have the amount of money that we have to spend and then um, do too much of an overhaul. Um, I think personally, getting rid of some players is equally as important as getting some players in. Um, I think like the, the subpar players that we have, like sort of five games ago, Conte <laughs> rather incredulously said, said, I look at the bench and then I look back on the, on, <laughs> on the pitch. And that just gives you an idea of the quality that we have in the ranks. Like, if you look at our bench in the final game of the season, we had Craig, Scarlett, White, um, a few other players, and then, like, I don't know, Winks, uh, Lucas and Bergvine. It's like, the squad is not good. Like, the quality that we have on the bench is not good. And obviously, that's part in, uh, in part to the fact that we've got rid of Ndombele, Lo Celso, um, we got rid of, uh, I mean, obviously Parrot's on loan, but he wasn't going to be on our bench really over Scarlett. Um, but also Hill's gone on loan. So obviously we have got rid of a lot of players in January and, and that's why our squad, uh, our bench looks a bit thin. But I think if we are able to get, if we are able to move on players like, players like, in my opinion, Winks, Tanganga, Rodon, uh, Bergvine, Lucas maybe, but probably not. Um, and Region and Emerson or Doherty, then we have a lot of space for manoeuvring. But I don't want to end up with the same amount of plays that we have now because that's still going to lead us to have a situation where we're going to have a, a soft bench. So we probably have to bring in more players when we get rid, and I think that's going to be more likely. I, like There will potentially be players like Tanganga that stay for the homegrown quota. Um, so Rodon's more likely to leave. Uh, and and stuff like that. So we'll see. Um, I I I think six players um, would be a good intake for this for this summer. And if we have a question about who would we would want in, then that's a different conversation, obviously. Yeah, related to that, um, we got Ethan saying, "Are we going to be able to ship off Tangai, Tang Tongi?" Yeah, uh, yeah. No, but like, he, I'm like, not even sure we'll be able to. You know, I'm not even sure we'll be able to. We'll have I think. Go on, go on, go on. Sorry. sorry, I think combining that with like the last question, I think getting rid of players, like Eddie said, is going to be just as important as as bringing players in. But I think we need six more players in than players go out. So I I think it could be like a a ten ten transfer in window because 
if we get rid of Tangi, Winks, Lacelso, Lucas, our, probably our starting left back in in uh, Region, although we hate to say it because he's not good enough. One one of our starting right backs in Doherty or Emerson, and then obviously with Ben Davies being re- kind of looked at to be replaced by Bastoni, if the rumours are true. We're looking at six players going out. It could, it could be end up being like a 10 to 12 person in window mm. if, if we get rid of all these players because we're going to need three three players just there to start. And then you need... And then we've got five players on the bench, which is two extra than... Sorry, five, five subs coming in. That's two extra from this year. It, it could be a, like a massive overhaul. Although Eddie says that he doesn't want that, I think it could end up being that. Yeah, and some of the sources are saying up to 12 players are going to come in, which when I first saw that, I thought that was nuts. But Glenn, as you lay out there, it does make sense, especially with the five subs as well. Um, what, uh, another question from Aaron says, Gentle Ben seems to be one of the first to be upgraded. Harsh? I think he's been one of the players of the season. I can't lie. Very. I think he's he's been one of the... I think if you look when Conte first come in, he was sort of one of the first players to sort of really take to Conte's system. I think you saw it in that the test game. I think that was Conte's first game, I think. You you automatically saw that the difference in Davis. He was he was so aggressive with his ball carrying, so aggressive with getting forward and literally get he was getting into the box. Not not just from like set pieces. He was he was going forward and overlap well, not overlapping, he was sort of underlapping the 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 winger or whoever it was and um getting into the box and he actually had a few chances in that game. And I, I honestly I don't think I've seen him had a bad game since Conte's come in. I think he's been good to very good in pretty much all these games. And I think he's got he has every single quality to play a left centre back in Conte's system. I think the only problem that they see is that they probably want someone a bit taller which I kind of agree with as well because I do feel like we lack some height when we're defending set pieces and attacking set pieces too. Um, but I agree, it's, it's definitely very harsh because I said it to you guys in the group chat that I think he's probably been top two, if not definitely top three performance performance since Conte's come in. Agreed. I think it's harsh. I agree, I agree with everything that Jed said. Yeah, I've, yeah. Like, Gentle Ben has been one of the best Conte like the system players at least. So I, I think it's harsh that he's like the first go. And we, we said that plenty of times in the chat as well. So yeah, I agree with both of you. Now we've got a question from Bell um, who says, can we explore the media bias against Tottenham? I feel like this is a big can of worms. Um, what do you guys think? Is there a media bias against Tottenham? I think I think it comes with the media bias towards other towards, clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not, it's not so much a media bias against Spurs directly, but I think indirectly by the media being so biased towards Liverpool, Man United, and Arsenal specifically. Bang on! I agree. They're, so they're, much they're, they're just they're just BT Sport is run by Liverpool. Basically, Liverpool. <laughs> it's run by Liverpool. It's so We're getting true. into the conspiracy theories now. No, yeah. it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. John it's W. Ridiculous. Henry just controlling the whole of the BT. If, if you operation. if you haven't been linked to Liverpool in your career, you don't get hired by BT. And exactly the same with Sky Sports for Man United or Arsenal. 
and 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 they weave a few like Man City pundits, and then recently, only very recently, have we had like a actual specific Spurs pundit on Sky, and we and we never get that on BT because Peter Crouch is basically a basically a Liverpool legend now, apparently. Even well, no, it, we, we've had Tottenham pundits, but they all hate Spurs. They're ups. They're yeah. always up. The first first pundit that doesn't hate Spurs that's been yeah. on sports. Yeah, we've had people like Darren Bent representing us. He supports Arsenal. He, su- he genuinely <laughs> supports Arsenal. On Talksport, he talks about us all the time when he's speaking about Arsenal. We've got what? Jamie Redknapp, who has had an axe to grind with us ever since we sacked his dad. He hates us. <laughs> And and then who else? I can't even think. But Graham Tunis hates us because we because he played for us, or like when he was in our academy or something. Yeah, and you got Genus, Genus, and Huddle as well. Yeah, their man hate us. Their man, their man actually hate us though. They they were. I think they must have been like taken into a room and like <laughs> indoctrinated for about two hours before they were allowed every, to have the job. Every time there's something that's like potentially, oh, that's a penalty. That's a penalty. Yeah, every oh, time yeah. It's a penalty. We talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they love that. And and like when when there's something that could be a penalty towards us, they'll always be like, "It's soft. It's soft." Like you'll see someone just get absolutely poleaxed. They'll be like, "Well, he's, you know, you, you've My seen day. them. You've seen them not given. So that's fine." And just just to expand on it a little bit, I think Glenn, I one hundred percent agree with you. Those three teams are favoured. I think the reason that City and Chelsea aren't favoured is because traditionally they have no history, pretty much. And um, that's new money. Yeah, it's new money. So there's no heritage for them to sell. There's no story for them to sell. They had to start the story for Chelsea in 2003 and they had to start the story in 2008 with City. So it will come maybe in like 20 years. Well, Chelsea, if Chelsea are down the river now, basically, but City. It will come in like 20 years when they supposedly have a history. We'll start seeing a bias towards them, but I think it's too recent. With Spurs, I think it's because if you look at Sky Sports and the Premier League, both invented in the 90s. You don't have Sky Sports without the Premier League. And what were Spurs doing in the 90s? Nearly getting relegated every single season. So even though we were historically a big club, they're not going to put any respect on our name because we were just we were almost like a Burnley in those times. Um, to expand on that a little, I think the reason why there's a wider hatred towards Tottenham is because I think teams like Everton and Aston Villa, who historically um, are a similar size to Spurs, see us as see us, and they think, why is that not us? They're like je- jealous because we're the team that actually broke away organically from kind of being in the mud and actually brought ourselves up there. I think people like that don't like it. The establishment, i.e., those. Uh, those three red teams they don't like it and City and Chelsea aren't going to like it so in what could have been spun as an underdog story it's it's been spun as like oh what why are you here why are you here what trophies have you won even though historically we're one of the most uh successful clubs in England I think in the 90s has cost us yeah it's almost like an imposter syndrome created by Sky and BT in my in my opinion it's like why why are they even in the conversation almost laughing us out the door like even though we we are a big team, we've got two of the best for, like forwards in the world, as Jed said. Like we should be in the conversation for at least challenging for the league next year, but it won't be spun that way. It'll be, uh, yeah, Tottenham might get top four. They're probably going to finish sixth. I bet. I on all 
on all the predictions, we're going to finish sixth next year. Promise you. Oh, you know, I think they might have us quite high. I think with Conte, it would be different. I think if we had anyone else, I'd agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I, agree with us anyway. I think, um, I think the, the, the problem is, and I, I think I want to expand on what Cosmo said, is that we seem to be the, the, like, the measuring stick for so many clubs. For, for Arsenal, it's like we, whatever we do, we have to be better than Tottenham. And they just haven't been recent in, over the last 10 years, really. And or at least since like the last years of, of Wenger and then like everything after Wenger, they have not, not been anywhere near us. Um, with Chelsea, it's that they don't really have an organic rival in London. And so they pick on us. Same with West Ham. The, the, like the clubs in and around them are just too small. Or they're in other leagues, so they can't. So the next biggest club or the club that they want to pick a rivalry with is with Spurs. And then outside of London, which I think then just becomes more inexplicable, is um, the fact that we've, over the last four years, like we've just seemed to be a City's bogey team. So invariably, you're going to hate your bogey sides. And like my dad, obviously, who supports City, absolutely hates playing Spurs. Like he, like every season, he's just like, I hate playing Spurs because like, it's the make or break part of our season because it always derails us, and it nearly did this season, and and it, it and it has done historically for them as well. And so there's that, and then obviously there is Man United who who for some reason have a, a bad history of us. We have a bad history of them in terms of results. And then once you've count, accounted for Aston Villa, Leicester, Everton, that's half of the league. That's half of the league that see Tottenham as their first or second rival, which just seems incredible to me. And and I think that by that that melt that melts into the bias because obviously most pundits will have come from one of those clubs. Like that, that like you're not going to get a, a pundit that played you know for 300 games for Burnley. That's not that's not TV. That's not that's not that's not Sky Sports. That's not BT. They're not going to get someone like that week in week out. So. It's going to come from the bigger clubs who have a, historically have a rivalry with us, and it's only going to come more apparent um, once the players that um, that we've seen in our lifetime retire. Like, say, like Lampard, if he's if he's a pundit, he's not going to he, he's not going to fancy us. Any 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 of the players from Arsenal, any of the players from from uh, United, any of the players from Chelsea, they're going to be biased against us. So it's not going to change. So I'd rather be the villain. Honestly, but it does work against us. Uh, for instance, we saw in the Leicester season when they won the league, everyone wanted us to lose. Everyone, to to the point where you felt like teams were rolling over for for Leicester. So it's it's frustrating. But again, I'd rather be the villain than someone that people don't acknowledge at all. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's that's well summed up. Um... This question, I'm just going to have to give it to Jed um, because it's from Lawrence and I don't know how to deal with it, to be honest. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I heard Ben Davis takes baths in fizzy water. Can you confirm? (laughs) No, Ben, you know, Ben Davis takes baths in that that potato water. You know, then when he boils (laughs) the potatoes, the brine. (laughs) Yeah. Brine. Pours it in the sieve. He puts the plug in the sink and then jumps in that. I think that's that's going to satisfy Lawrence's question. I also, I also had another question from Lawrence that said, "Why does Harry Kane eat dog treats?" <laughs> 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 
In a way, Lawrence for for a proper question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for a serious question. Pure surrealism. Um, okay, I think. Okay, th- there's one more from Ish. Is Son the best finisher in the league? Yeah. No. What? Still think Kane's a better finisher. Yeah, same. <laughs> oh, oh, is Son the best finisher in the league? Is that the question? Yeah, yeah. Kane. Yeah, it's Kane. Do you know how many chances Son's missed? He misses so many. <laughs> no, but I think he's outperformed his XG the most, though. He has. Everyone. He has. But because he doesn't take penalties. Mm, yeah, there you I go. suppose so. I there suppose you go. So. But, but that, but that just shows he's such a good finisher, though, because he doesn't need <clears throat> penalties to score. No, but no, right. it, it shows that just shows that he scores low xG chances. That I, doesn't I, mean I, think, um, I think it's more to do the fact that, like, as a winger, as well, he's getting a lot of goals. Like, it's it's very much like his starting position compared to where he is when he finishes those chances. So. I think yeah. he's a very, very good finisher. He's not a striker, like and and yeah, Kane is Kane. Like when when Son's in the box, you don't think it's a given. When Kane's in the box, you expect you're expecting it to be a goal. Like there's there's a difference between Son's level of finishing, which I would I would uh, I'd say he's in that the Salah kind of vein, where like they're very good finishers for their position. Kane. He's a deadly finisher. He's like in that kind of like Benzema, Benzema Lewandowski, Kane, that that crop of players, when they're in the box, you, they can make something out of nothing, which I don't think Son does as much. Fair, fair. Um, do you guys have any extra questions? Yeah, I think we covered it. Um, yeah. But my dad, obviously, we, I, I spoke this earlier, like he said, how, like, what were our emotions when we saw Newcastle beat Arsenal, which we covered? Uh, jubilation. Yeah, I got one. <laughs> I got one which says, "This is from Phoebus." It says, "What's the minimum expe- expectations for next season for it to be a success?" I think top four, at least. It's got to be top four. That's the minimum. And then, to be fair, as long as I see improvement, then I'll be happy with that. I mean, I'm not going to say we need to win a trophy for it to be a success because, like, as Larissa has said in the past, we're battling with monsters. Liverpool and City are monsters. You can't, it doesn't even make sense to be like, oh, Spurs are, Spurs are a little club if they can't win uh, the FA Cup or Carabao Cup. How can that make sense when you're saying that City and Liverpool are the best teams in, in, the, in the world? So yeah. for me, as long as I see improvement, then I think getting top four, probably by a bigger margin than what we did this season, that would be a successful season. Um, and I honestly, I think we're the third best team in the league right now. So, especially with the improvements to come, and assuming Conte stays, we probably should third. We probably should come third. But as long as I see improvements, then I'm going to be happy. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to see us go on like some cup runs as well. I, I don't I don't expect us to win a trophy because I think Liverpool have won like the last five uh, Carabao Cups. No, um, it was City or, yeah. Liverpool, yeah. Yeah, I think it's like either either them either of them two are just like always going to win that competition because the strength and depth they have is just yeah insane. But mm-hmm. I'd I'd like to at least see us in the semi-finals of one of them cups. I'm not too sure about Europe because I don't think that um I don't think that Conte is 
Not not that he's going to take it seriously, but I'm not sure that he's, his track record says that he's suited to the Champions League. But again, I, I echo Cosmo. I think top four, if not third. Yeah, third. Yeah. Third, and I'd like I'd like to see us in a final next season. Um, not necessarily win it because I feel like I feel like for the past couple of years we've done this podcast. Every time we say what do we expect for next season, I feel like we've always said top four on a trophy. And I think you're right, Cosmo. I think the two at the top at the moment are just on a completely different playing field to us and the strength and depth that they're going to have, which we might have, we don't know. We have to wait to see how the, the transfer window pans out for everyone. Um, but I would like I would like to see us get to a final just so we we have that chance of potentially winning something. And I think I think we will be in a good position to definitely compete on all all three domestic fronts anyway. I think when it comes to those those knockout games in like the FA Cup and Carabao Cup, it's not so much of like a tactical thing. It's just sort of like who's going to rotate their squad the most in the day. Um, so I think getting to a final would be nice. Um, potentially winning it, we could do it. Just depends. Depends on the day, I guess. Eddie, yeah. closing thoughts? I think this uh, is the, the last question. Yeah, I agree on both. Um, I think I was going to ask a question. I think I asked a question to N17, which kind of links to this. Is like, is this... Uh, kind of like not last chance saloon, but it's just like kind of the like for like some of the senior players in the squad. Is this upcoming season going to be that season where if they don't win trophies, like they're not going to win trophies for Spurs? I meant specifically like someone like Lloris, potentially someone like Son. I'm not sure, but like players like that. And I think the desire for me would be to go on a cup run and and win a trophy, but not at n- not not in a way that endangers top four. So if it comes to it where we have an important game to secure top four and we have to rotate in the, the cup hard rather that um, I think like to build on this season would be to remain in the top four because um, obviously we've been out of it for the last uh, couple of seasons and that's hurt um, just as a fan and also hurt the club, I think, financially, um, especially during COVID. So, yeah, I think I think minimum top four, um, ideally third, uh, which I think is very possible. And I agree with like the the point said that we're the, probably the third best team in the league at the moment in the country. Um, and yeah, it remains to be seen what our recruitment is going to be like. But I don't think I honestly don't. Th- I, and I could be like could swallow my own words. Like a couple months later, I don't think we we could have a bad summer in terms of recruitment. I don't. I can. I think we can have a. We. I think we could be like led astray, you know, kind of like we have these high hopes, and maybe we don't get the Hollywood sign-ins. But I personally think that we can. I, I think it's looking positive, and I think, I think any decent, any decent bits of recruitment is only just going to benefit us as a squad. So, uh, long long story short, uh, top four would be my preferred uh, option there. And I think that's going to be a minimum for next season. Yeah, agreed. I think that pretty much pretty much covers it all. Um, yeah, so boys, what a privilege it's been to to do this with you this season. I got to say, it's been an absolutely fantastic season, a very emotional one. Um, third season doing this, 
we weren't as consistent as we wanted to be. We have to apologize to the listeners for that. But it is what it is. Uh, uh, next year, we're definitely going to, to quote a um, a great man who, if you know, you know, we're going to have to get our arse in gear. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, it's been a privilege, boys. Yeah, cheers, boys. Uh, hopefully we come back in August and we're, we're ready to... to... Not a title charge. Do the title charge. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you spurs.